Hello and welcome to Misty 101 podcast. Monster rats to invade UK homes via toilet, warns pest expert. Giant rats the size of cats could get into UK homes, warned a pest expert. It was warned some of the furry creatures may even come in via the toilet. Ace Pest Control boss Andrew Delbridge issued a wild warning the rodents were bigger and braver after lockdown. Now the rat catcher-in-chief has even had to employ extra staff to battle the problem with the flea-ridden creatures in Norwich. On one of his jobs, he claimed a customer was left speechless after she found a rat swimming in her toilet bowl, something he claimed is happening more often. He told Norwich Evening News, I was called out to one job in Norwich and the customer could barely speak, she was in so much shock. She'd been using the bathroom and heard a noise. She looked down and it was in the toilet bowl. And this is happening more and more frequently. The pest boss was confident the source of the problem was overflowing bins. He added, rats are letting themselves into people's houses and businesses. Winter usually proves to be the rat catcher's busiest time of year. Residents have been advised to avoid feeding wildlife if they have seen rats near their property. A spokeswoman for Norwich City Council told the newspaper, Try not to feed your pets outdoors, if you do, make sure you're present when feeding them, and remove any remaining food afterwards. People that have seen rats near their property should avoid feeding wildlife as this is a food source for rodents too. 10 Incredible Findings About Aliens Here on the little space rock we call Earth, humans often wonder whether or not we are alone in this universe. Though that question has not yet been answered, many discoveries seem to increase the prospect of extraterrestrial entities existing. Findings on the closest planet to us, in the outer solar system and the far beyond seemed to point to the possibility that other worlds could host organisms ranging from bacteria to technological beings. Perhaps, new results in the coming year will finally reveal who else might be out there. One is ET phoning us from Proxima Centauri. The answer to weird signals happening in the universe is never aliens, until maybe it is. In December, 2020, researchers announced that they had captured a very mysterious beam of energy in the radio part of the electromagnetic spectrum at 980 MHz, coming from the closest star to our own. Proxima Centauri, which is just 4.2 light-years away, hosts one gas giant and one rocky world 17% larger than Earth that happens to be in its star's habitable zone meaning liquid water could exist there. The unexplained signal reportedly shifted slightly while it was being observed, in a way that resembled the shift caused by the movement of a planet. Researchers are excited but cautious, explaining that they will need to figure out if more mundane sources, such as a comet, hydrogen cloud or even human technology, could be mimicking an alien signal. Aldi worker at secret checkout free store spills beans on all the new changes. Aldi's new no-checkout store cost £1.8 million to refit, according to a supermarket insider, and the fancy new technology still makes mistakes. Earlier this week the much-loved German discount supermarket announced it was trialing a store with no checkouts at all. The store works by customers picking up their shopping and being charged as they walk out. The scheme is being tested by Aldi staff at a secret London store, but the supermarket would not say where. But an Aldi worker says the store is based in Greenwich, South London. Are robots the future of retail? Let us know in the comments below. The worker, who wants to stay anonymous says the store's new technology cost £1.8 million. The new no-checkout equipment works, but does still make mistakes when scanning a basket of goods, the worker revealed. The employee said, it does work. Like all technology it's not 100%, and not as many staff, are, needed. 
Aldi said the no checkout store would still need as many staff as before. Aldi said the no checkout store would still need as many staff as before. The secret Aldi worker said they thought the initiative would be rolled out around the country. They said, the way things are going, in a few years' time all shops will have it, and fewer staff will be needed, but I don't think that's the way forward. Aldi would not comment. The way the tech, big six in crisis, what rising prices means for British gas, EDF, EON and SSE customers. Millions of households face increased energy prices as the wholesale price of gas exploded by 250% since January. Smaller firms have already begun to face insolvency, with six going bust, leaving hundreds of thousands of homes facing a new supplier and potentially higher costs. The rising cost of wholesale gas up a shocking 70% since August alone, are putting pressure on the suppliers, who, under mandated energy price caps, are battling to afford the energy needed to power homes. Many of the smaller firms have promised to sell gas to customers for less than it is now costing them to buy it, and without enough capital to plug the gap, they face insolvency. Six firms have already folded in September, PFP Energy, Money Plus Energy, Utility Point, People's Energy, Green, Avro Energy, and there are fears that more could follow, with Bulb and Igloo reportedly on the brink of collapse. Business Secretary Kwesi Kwarteng has repeatedly said he does not want to prop up companies that have been badly run, adding there is no reward for failure. Why have gas prices risen? A perfect storm of factors have led to the dramatic rise in prices. This time of year usually sees a spike in the price of gas as temperatures cool and people begin to use heating and switch lights on earlier in the day. But this year, it coincides with the economy opening up after lock. Black Google employee stopped by security because they didn't believe he worked there. Earlier this week, Harvard graduate Angel Onuoha said he was riding a bike around a Google campus when someone called security on him. He said two security guards escorted him to verify his ID. Writing on Twitter, Onuoha said, riding my bike around Google's campus and somebody called security on me because they didn't believe I was an employee. Had to get escorted by two security guards to verify my ID badge. He later added that his ID badge was taken away from him later that day, and was told to call security if, he, had a problem with it. Replying to Onuoha, Twitter user Albert Richardson said he used to work security at Google and had security called on him, too. Covid infections in community in England drop for second week in a row. Black Widow's O.T. Fagbanal responds to Scarlett Johansson's Disney lawsuit. A black associate product manager at Google claimed he was stopped by security as they didn't believe he was an employee. Google Office return delay copyright symbol copyright 2019 The Associated Press All rights reserved Google Office return delay Earlier this week Harvard graduate Angel Onuoha said he was riding a bike around a Google campus when someone called security on him. He said two security guards escorted him to verify his ID. Writing on Twitter, Onuoha said, riding my bike a hair salon ordered to pay £200,000 for giving model the wrong haircut. A hair salon in India has been ordered to pay almost £200,000 to an Indian model after they gave her the wrong haircut. The model visited the salon, which is part of an established hotel chain in the capital of Delhi, back in 2018, giving specific instructions on how she wanted her haircut. Despite her instructions, the salon cut off too much hair with court documents saying they left only four inch from the top touching her shoulder BBC News reports. Local media reports that the woman had been a regular at the salon, but her usual hairdresser had not been working on the day and so had another employee take her on. 
the model took the salon to the National Consumer Disputes Redressal Commission, NCDRC, which awarded her 20 million rupees, the equivalent of 197,000 pounds, in damages. In its ruling, the NCDRC said that the botched haircut had shattered the woman's dream of becoming a top model. It noted, she underwent severe mental breakdown and trauma due to negligence, in cutting her hair and could not concentrate on her job and finally she lost her job. The commission also said that the woman had lost her self-confidence as a result of the haircut. After complaining to the salon about the haircut they had provided, she was offered a free treatment, but this only resulted in damage to the woman's remaining hair. The salon can appeal against the commission's ruling but has not yet made a statement. Insulate Britain activist who stormed off Good Morning Britain arrested hours later. A climate change activist who stormed off Good Morning Britain after being challenged over the behaviour of Insulate Britain was arrested a short time later, it has emerged. Liam Norton, 36, who is a leading member of the environmental group, was detained by Scotland Yard detectives on Wednesday on suspicion of conspiracy to cause a public nuisance. Just hours earlier, he had been involved in a bad-tempered on-air exchange with GMB presenters Susanna Reid and Richard Madeley after being challenged over whether his own home was insulated. Walking off the show, he told them, we are demanding that the government make a meaningful statement to save the future of this country and if they refuse to do it they can put us in prison. I've had enough of talking to people in this country about what we're doing. Bye. Later that day, he was arrested by police at his home in Streatham, South London, and questioned for several hours. On Thursday, his fellow spokesman, Zoe Cohen, 51, who has given interviews to the BBC defending Insulate Britain's tactics, was detained at her home in Warrington. The pair were both subsequently released under investigation. The move from police comes after the government was granted an injunction banning activists from blocking the M25 and signals a ramping up of the response to insulate Britain's disruptive activities. Any breach of the interim order could result in protesters being jailed for contempt of court. Katie Price has given away dog after less than a year. Katie Price has given away her French bulldog, less than a year after getting him. The former glamour model, 40, had received the pooch as a six-month anniversary from fiancé Kyle Woods, 32, but The Sun reports that Precious now has a new owner and had posted pictures on Instagram. The new owner uploaded pictures on social media, which were captioned, One week of fatherhood, you've changed the game, you smelly, snoring, dobby-eared, adorable little pig. I thought about changing your name, but now it makes total sense. Welcome to London, Precious. It is thought that Katie gave the pooch to a crew member working on a reality show about the renovation of her mansion. When asked by a follower if the dog was his, the owner confirmed it was, writing, she is. Katie previously described how Precious was like a new baby for her and Carl. She said, she's a French bulldog called Precious, Princess came up with the name. It's my six-month anniversary present from Carl. We might not have a baby, but this is our new baby together. Precious was a replacement for the previous family dog Rollo, who belonged to Katie's daughter Princess, 14. Rollo had reportedly died when he suffocated in an armchair. Addressing the backlash she got after Rollo's death, Katie said in a YouTube video, It's a bit doom and gloom, I feel we have to do this because me and Princess are getting a lot of stick and eyed ministers on spot over why they let vast gas storage facility shut. Business leaders and MPs have slammed the government for allowing Britain to effectively shut down the gas storage needed to cope with an energy crisis. The UK has minuscule levels of storage compared with other nations in Europe, 
which means families and businesses are more reliant than ever on imports. Reports suggest the UK has just seven days' worth of gas storage compared with the 90 days of supply held by France and Germany. Storage is equivalent to just 2% of annual demand here versus an average of 25% in Europe. The lack of storage is largely because ministers allowed the owner of British Gas, Centrica, to shut down a huge facility in the North Sea responsible for 70% of UK gas storage in 2017. Yesterday Labour MP Stephanie Peacock challenged Business and Energy Secretary Kwesi Kwarteng to admit allowing the closure of storage facility rough was a mistake. Mr Kwarteng rejected this saying. I don't think it is relevant because no amount of gas storage is going to mitigate the quadrupling of the gas price in four months. Petrol station closures, motorists say roads are a shambles as large queues form at four courts across UK. Motorists caught up in gridlock traffic have vented their frustration after large queues formed on roads leading to petrol stations despite the government's plea for drivers not to panic by. Large queues of cars formed at petrol stations across the country hours after the government warned motorists to not to panic buy fuel as a shortage of lorry drivers hampered deliveries to four courts. In the south, there were queues at four courts in Tunbridge, Kent, and in the north there were similar scenes at Asda in Thornaby, Stockton-on-Tees. In Crowborough, East Sussex, one shopper told the I, the roads are a shambles this morning. There were panic buyers for petrol at BP who were queuing three cars deep at every pump and it's just a small forecourt. Both sides of the road was blocked as drivers were trying to get in. At the nearby Morrison's petrol station, traffic had stopped. There were drivers queuing along the main road making it difficult to get by. In Hove, East Sussex. One passerby told local newspaper The Argus that panic buying was causing big tailbacks. They said, because people are queuing to get petrol it is then causing big tailbacks along the A259. People are now out talking to drivers to try to get it organised. It has caused quite a tailback heading towards Shoreham from Hove. Not everyone wants petrol but they are caught up in it. It looks like staff are talking, Taliban official, strict punishment, executions will return. One of the founders of the Taliban and the chief enforcer of its harsh interpretation of Islamic law when they last ruled Afghanistan said the hardline movement will once again carry out executions and amputations of hands, though perhaps not in public. In an interview with the Associated Press, Mullah Noradeen Trabi dismissed outrage over the Taliban's executions in the past, which sometimes took place in front of crowds at a stadium, and he warned the world against interfering with Afghanistan's new rulers. Everyone criticized us for the punishments in the stadium, but we have never said anything about their laws and their punishments Trabi told the Associated Press, speaking in Kabul. No one will tell us what our laws should be. We will follow Islam and we will make our laws on the Quran. Since the Taliban overran Kabul on 15 August and seized control of the country, Afghans and the world have been watching to see whether they will recreate their harsh rule of the late 1990s. Trabi's comments pointed to how the group's leaders remain entrenched in a deeply conservative, hardline worldview even if they are embracing technological changes, like video and mobile phones. Truby, now in his early 60s, was Justice Minister and head of the so-called Ministry of Propagation of Virtue and Prevention of Vice, effectively, the religious police, during the Taliban's previous rule.
At that time, the world denounced the Taliban's punishments, tourist warning over revenge travel that could bankrupt Britain's how to avoid. Budgeting experts, think money, have discovered that 48% of Brits plan to spend more on their holidays since travel restrictions were lifted. Dubbed revenge travel British tourists are likely to use the money they haven't been able to spend during the pandemic on holidays. Splurging on a luxurious winter holiday is a tempting prospect after so many months locked up inside. But finance experts have warned Britons that revenge travel could be dangerous for those that need to save. Johnny Sabinski from Think Money, said, in simple terms. Revenge spending is when you spend money to make up for lost time. As restrictions lift here in the UK, you might be tempted to treat yourself, refresh your wardrobe or book a holiday to make up for lost time. But if the last 18 months has taught us anything, it's that we always need a safety net during hard or unexpected times. Don't fall back into the trap of living paycheck to paycheck Think Money have shared some of their top budgeting tips with express.co.uk. Tourists looking to splurge are advised to make a list of their dream holiday destinations three weeks before booking. After three weeks have passed, people should check if they still want the holiday and only go ahead with the booking if that's still the case. Another top tip is to compare 2021 household spending with those of 2019. Checking what household costs were two years ago could help people. Young Cook shares his simple recipe for a creamy chicken pesto pasta. A cook has offered his simple dinner recipe for a creamy chicken pesto pasta. Morgan Hipworth, from Melbourne, made the dish using chicken breast, pen pasta, sun-dried tomato, avocado, spinach, herbs and his DIY pesto sauce. Dinner sorted with my creamy chicken pesto pasta the 20-year-old baker said in his TikTok video. To make the pesto, he blitzed together the basil, parmesan cheese, pine nuts, garlic, salt and olive oil until finely chopped. In a pot over low heat, Morgan added the diced chicken breast and stock allowing the ingredients to cook for about five minutes. Meanwhile, he cooked the pen pasta in a pot of salted boiling water for two minutes less than the packet's instructions. In a pan, he added the pasta along with the pesto, thickened cream, sun-dried tomatoes, avocados, parsley, basil and a handful of baby spinach. How to make Morgan's creamy chicken pesto pasta Ingredients Serves for 350 grams pen pasta 2 teaspoons sea salt 200 grams chicken breast, cut into 1.5 centimeter cubes 2 cups chicken stock For the pesto 1 cup fresh basil leaves A quarter cup grated parmesan cheese A quarter cup olive oil 3 tablespoons pine nuts Great Wall of Lights, China's sea power on Darwin's doorstep Aboard the Ocean Warrior in the Eastern Pacific Ocean, AP, it's 3 a.m., and after five days plying through the high seas, the Ocean Warrior is surrounded by an atoll of blazing lights that overtakes the nighttime sky. Welcome to the party said 3rd Officer Filippo Marini as the spectacle floods the ship's bridge and interrupts his overnight watch. It's the conservationists' first glimpse of the world's largest fishing fleet, an armada of nearly 300 Chinese vessels that have sailed halfway across the globe to lure the elusive Humboldt squid from the Pacific Ocean's inky depths. As Italian hip-hop blares across the bridge, Marini furiously scribbles the electronic IDs of 37 fishing vessels that pop up as green triangles on the Ocean Warrior's radar onto a sheet of paper, before they disappear. Immediately he detects a number of red flags, two of the boats have gone dark their mandatory tracking device that gives a ship's position switched off. Still others are broadcasting two different radio numbers a sign of possible tampering. 
the Associated Press with Spanish-language broadcaster Univision accompanied the Ocean Warrior this summer on an 18-day voyage to observe up close for the first time the Chinese distant water fishing fleet on the high seas off South America. The vigilante patrol was prompted by an international outcry last summer when hundreds of Chinese vessels were discovered fishing for squid near the long-isolated Galapagos Islands, a USCO World Heritage Site that inspired 19th-century naturalist Charles Darwin and is home to some of the world's most endangered species, from giant tortoises to hammerhead sharks. China's deployment to this remote expanse is no accident. Decades of overfishing have pushed its overseas fleet, the world's largest, ever farther from home. Officially capped at 3,000 vessels, the fleet might actually consist of thousands more. Keeping such a sizable flotilla at sea, sometimes for years at a time, is at once a technical feat made possible through billions in state subsidies and a source of national pride akin to what the U.S. space program was for generations of Americans. Beijing says it has zero tolerance for illegal fishing and points to recent actions such as a temporary moratorium on high seas squid fishing as evidence of its environmental stewardship. Those now criticizing China, including the US and Europe, for decades raided the oceans themselves. But the sheer size of the Chinese fleet and its recent arrival to the Americas has stirred fears that it could exhaust marine stocks. There's also concern that in the absence of effective controls, illegal fishing will soar. The U.S. Coast Guard recently declared that illegal fishing had replaced piracy as its top maritime security threat. Meanwhile, activists are seeking restrictions on fishing as part of negotiations underway on a first-ever high seas treaty, which could dramatically boost international cooperation on the traditionally lawless waters that comprise nearly half of the planet. Of the 30 vessels the AP observed up close, 24 had a history of labor abuse accusations, past convictions for illegal fishing or showed signs of possibly violating maritime law. Collectively, these issues underscore how the open ocean around the Americas, where the US has long dominated and China is jockeying for influence, have become a magnet for the seafood industry's worst offenders. Specifically, 16 ships either sailed with their mandatory safety transponders turned off, broadcast multiple electronic IDs or transmitted information that didn't match its listed name or location discrepancies that are often associated with illegal fishing, although the AP saw no evidence that they were engaged in illicit assitivity. Six ships were owned by companies accused of forced labor including one vessel, the Chang Tai 802 whose Indonesian crew said they had been stuck at sea for years. Another nine ships face accusations of illegal fishing elsewhere in the world while one giant fuel tanker servicing the fleet, the Ocean Ruby, is operated by the affiliate of a company suspected of selling fuel to North Korea in violation of United Nations sanctions. Yet another, the Fu Yuan U7880, is operated by an affiliate of a Nasdaq-traded company, Pington Marine Enterprise, whose Chinese executives had their U.S. visas cancelled for alleged links to human trafficking. Beijing is exporting its overfishing problem to South America said Captain Peter Hammerstedt, director of campaigns for Sea Shepherd, a Netherlands-based ocean conservation group that operates nine well-equipped vessels, including the Ocean Warrior. China is chiefly responsible for the plunder of shark and tuna in Asia says Hammerstedt, who organized the high seas campaign, called Operation Distant Water, after watching how illegal Chinese vessels ravaged poor fishing villages in West Africa. With that track record, are we really supposed to believe they will manage this new fishery responsibly? Wild West the roar of the mechanical jiggers pulling the catch from the ocean's depths can be heard hundreds of feet away before you come upon the floating slaughterhouse. The stench too, as the highly aggressive squid blow their ink sacs in one final, 
futile effort to avoid their inexorable fate. By all accounts, the Humboldt squid, named for the nutrient-rich current found off the southwest coast of South America, is one of the most abundant marine species. Some scientists believe their numbers may even be thriving as the oceans warm and their natural predators, sharks, and tuna, are fished out of existence. But biologists say they've never faced a threat like the explosion of industrial Chinese fishing off South America. The number of Chinese flagged vessels in the South Pacific has surged tenfold from 54 active vessels in 2009 to 557 in 2020, according to the South Pacific Regional Fisheries Management Organization, or SPFMO, an intergovernmental group of 15 members charged with ensuring the conservation and sustainable fishing of the species. Meanwhile, the size of its catch has grown from 70,000 tons in 2009 to 358,000. Fishing takes place almost exclusively at night when each ship turns on hundreds of lights as powerful as anything at a stadium to attract swarms of the fast-flying squid. The concentration of lights is so intense it can be seen from space on satellite images that show the massive fleet shining as brightly as major cities hundreds of miles away on land. It really is like the Wild West said Hammerstead. Nobody is responsible for enforcement out there. Experts warn that even a naturally bountiful species like squid is vulnerable to overfishing. Although it's unknown how many Humboldt squid remain, they point to past disappearance of squid stocks in Argentina, Mexico, and Japan as cause for concern if you have a vast resource and it's easy to take, then it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that this is limitless, that it's just stars in the sky said William Gilly, a Stanford University marine biologist. If humanity puts its mind to it, there's no limit to the damage we can do. Jilly said squid are also a key barometer of marine environments a biological conveyor belt transporting energy from tiny carbon-absorbing plankton to longer-living predators, like sharks and tuna, and ultimately, human beings. The people who fish squid are happy said Daniel Pauley, a prominent marine biologist who in the 1990s coined the phrase fishing down the food web to describe how previously spurned chum were replacing bigger fish on dinner plates. But this is part of the gradual degradation of the ocean. Dark Fleet For dozens of Chinese ships, the journey to the warm equatorial waters near the Galapagos began months earlier on the opposite side of South America, where every austral summer, between November and March, hundreds of foreign-flagged jiggers scoop up untold amounts of short-fin squid in one of the world's largest unregulated fishing grounds. The plunderer's paradise lies between Argentina's maritime border and the British-held Falkland Islands in a Jamaica-sized no-man's land where fishing licenses, catch limits and oversight are non-existent. Between November, 2020 and May, 2021, a total of 523 mostly Chinese fishing vessels, 35% more than the previous season, were detected just beyond the boundary of Argentina's 200 nautical mile exclusive economic zone, according to satellite data analyzed by Windward, a maritime intelligence firm. Of that amount, 42% had turned off at least once their safety transponders. Meanwhile, 188 of those same vessels showed up near the Galapagos, including 14 Chinese vessels that went offline in both oceans for an average 34 hours each time. It's impossible to know what the ships did while they were dark. However, Sometimes ships turn off their tracking systems to avoid detection while carrying out illicit activities. Argentine authorities over the years have spotted numerous Chinese vessels off the grid fishing illegally in its waters, once even firing shots into and sinking a trawler that tried to ram its pursuer near a whale breeding ground. Under United Nations Maritime Treaty, 
to which China is a signatory, large ships are required to continuously use what's known as an automated identification system, or AIS, to avoid collisions. Switching it off, except in cases of an imminent threat, for example hiding from pirates, is a major breach that should lead to sanctions for a vessel and its owner under the law of the nation to which it is flagged. But China until now appears to have done little to rein in its distant water fleet. The 12 reefers active in the Pacific this past July as the ocean warrior was patrolling nearby had at least 196 encounters with fishing vessels during that period, according to satellite data analyzed by Global Fishing Watch, a group that supports sustainable fishing. Nearly 11% of total U.S. seafood imports in 2019 worth $2.4 billion came from illegal unreported and unregulated fishing, according to the U.S. International Trade Commission, a federal agency. Outside the U.S., the problem is believed to be even worse. We don't know if things are getting better or worse said Boris Worm, a marine biologist at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Canada. It basically comes down to who you believe. Fishy business. In the seascape of the world's oceans, Pington Marine and its affiliates have left in their wake accusations of illegal fishing by authorities in places as diverse as South Africa, Timor-Leste, Ecuador, and Indonesia. But the company is not some rogue outfit. It boasts China's second-largest overseas fleet, trades shares on the US Nasdaq, and in its home port of Fuzhou, across from Taiwan is helping build one of the world's largest fish factories. The company's chairman and CEO, Chu Xinrong, appears to have built the fishing empire through massive state loans, generous subsidies, and Communist Party connections. It's not just a fishing company, it's practically a Chinese government asset said Suzy Puji Astuti who as Indonesia's former fishing minister between 2014 and 2019 was lionized by conservationists for destroying hundreds of illegal foreign fishing vessels. 57 of Pington's ships, including three refrigerated carrier vessels, all of them owned directly or through an affiliate, were registered by China in the past few years to fish in the South Pacific, according to C4 ads a Washington-based think tank that last year authored a report on illegal fishing. Pington in its last earnings report almost a year ago said that it had $280 million in outstanding loans from the China Development Bank and other state lenders. One of the country's biggest state investment funds owns an 8% stake in one of its subsidiaries. Meanwhile, Chinese state subsidies to Pington for the building of vessels totaled $29 million in the first nine months of last year, about a third of all its purchases of property and equipment. As part of Puji Astuti's crackdown, vessels operated by two Pington affiliates in Indonesia had their licenses revoked for a slew of alleged offences ranging from falsifying catch reports, illegal transshipments, and the smuggling of endangered species. Those affiliates, PT Avenaminolsteri and PT Dwikaria Rexurabade, are managed or partly owned by members of Jews' immediate family, Pington disclosed in filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Crew members of one vessel told authorities they had been gang-beaten hit on their heads with a piece of steel and subjected to torture by their Chinese supervisors according to an Indonesian court ruling upholding the ban on the Pington affiliate. A Panama-flagged carrier vessel, the High FA, whose listed owner is a different Pington affiliate based in Hong Kong, was seized in 2014 with 900 tons of illegally caught fish, including endangered shark species. A lenient court later released the vessel from custody after it paid a $15,000 fine. An entity majority owned by Ju's wife also operates the Fuyuan Yuleng 999, which was caught in 2017 transiting through the Galapagos Marine Reserve with more than 6,000 dead sharks on board.
another Pington-affiliated vessel spotted by AP, the Fuyuan U7880, was arrested by South Africa in 2016 after it tried to flee a naval patrol that suspected it of illegal squid fishing. The ship's officers were found guilty of possessing illegal gear and disobeying a maritime authority but were released after paying a fine. The more you learn about these vessels and equipment, the harder it is to sleep at night said Puji Astuti. These South Americans should wake up as early as possible. Pington didn't answer a detailed list of questions. Pington doesn't answer questions raised by the media the company said in an email. As scandal has followed Pington and its affiliates around the world, investors have dumped the company's stock. In June, Nasdaq sent notice that it would delist the company unless its share price, which has tumbled nearly 80% the last two years, crawls back above a minimum $1 threshold soon. The threat of delisting followed the abrupt resignation of the company's independent auditor, which warned about Pington's ability to continue doing business. Pington told the SEC that its failure to file any quarterly reports for nearly a year was due to a material weakness in its ability to conform with U.S. accounting practices. One decision that Pington has also not commented on is the surprise U.S. sanction of its top executives. Two U.S. officials said that CEO Ju Xinrong and his wife were among the 15 individuals who had their visas cancelled last year for being complicit in illegal fishing and human trafficking. The decision, taken in the waning days of the Trump administration, was the first of its kind specifically targeting abuse in the fishing industry, the two officials said on the condition of anonymity to discuss internal deliberations. Bullying China Criticism of China's distant water fishing fleet has spurred some reform. Last year, China imposed stricter penalties on companies caught breaking the rules, including manipulating their transceivers. They've also boosted reporting requirements for transshipments on the high seas, banned blacklisted vessels from entering Chinese ports and ordered off-season moratoriums on squid fishing in the high seas near Argentina and Ecuador. The measures, while far from a panacea, nonetheless mark a giant leap for the world's largest consumer and producer of fish products. I used to go to conference and officials would be in just complete denial said Tabitha Malay, a China scholar at the University of Washington who specializes in the country's fishing policies. At least now, they are acknowledging that their fishing is unsustainable, even if it's just to counter all the negative pushback they are getting around the world. China's Foreign Ministry, the Bureau of Fisheries and the China Overseas Fisheries Association, an industry group, didn't respond to multiple requests for an interview nor a detailed list of questions. China's distant water fishing fleet launched in the 1980s as a response to depleting fish stocks at home and the need to feed its fast-growing population. But it's evolved into a thriving industry and an important part of China's geopolitical push to secure access to the world's dwindling natural resources, says Malay. In the eastern city of Jishan, home to China's largest distant water fleet, an ultramodern squid museum opened this year that allows visitors to follow the squid on a sanitized, adventure-filled 3D journey from the ocean depths to the giant jiggers and their eventual processing back at home into squid rings. Researcher Pauli believes that much of the criticism of the Chinese fleet's fishing around the Galapagos is attributed to growing anti-China sentiment in the U.S. and sensitivities about Beijing's growing presence in what has traditionally been considered Washington's backyard. He said imposing restrictions on high seas fishing, something that could be discussed as part of the negotiations over a high seas treaty would be a more effective way to curtail China's activities than bullying. China doesn't do anything that Europe has not done exactly the same way said Pauli. The difference is that everything China does is big, so you see it. China's stonewalling. 
seafood companies in the U.S. have started to take note of the risks posed by China's expansion and are seeking to leverage their market power to bring more transparency to the sourcing of squid. This year, a group of 16 importers and producers banded together to devise a common strategy to root out abuse. Much of their focus is on China which is responsible for around half of the $314 million in squid that the U.S. imported in 2019, the bulk served up as fried calamari in restaurants. The initiative is opening something of a Pandora's box for an industry that until now has thrived in the shadows without a lot of attention focused on its supply chains. The bulk of China's squid harvest comes from the high seas where there's little in the way of controls like there is in many coastal waters. Right now, it's the perfect situation for would-be violators, said Alfonso Miranda, executive director of Calamasa, a group made up of squid industry representatives from Mexico, Chile, Peru, and Ecuador. You can do whatever you want, even forced labor, nobody says anything, and you still have a market for your product. One alternative is to deploy technology, like publicly available AIS tracking data, to allow consumers to eventually identify the very vessel, its owner, fishing history and precise location, that caught the fish. In that way, the seafood industry can catch up with other manufacturers, from meat producers to the garment trade, where such practices are more common. The key word is traceability said Ambassador Jean Maines, the top civilian at U.S. Southern Command in Miami. When consumers insist on traceability, the market responds. However, boosting transparency is a challenge the industry has grappled with for decades. Nobody knows for sure how much China is fishing on the high seas. Meanwhile, Critics say regional fishing management organizations that operate on the basis of consensus are powerless to block China from registering vessels with links to illegal fishing and abuse. Case and point, the Huali 8, which was green-lighted by China to fish in the South Pacific in 2018, two years after it was the target of an international manhunt when it fled warning shots fired by an Argentine naval vessel that had caught it fishing illegally. Four of the Huali 8's crew members were treated like slaves Indonesian officials said at the time of the ship's arrest pursuant to an Interpol purple notice. The ship again was involved in suspicious fishing activity in 2019, this time in the Western Hemisphere when it went dark for 80 hours as it was fishing along the edge of Peru's exclusive economic zone. At the same time as the ship was offline, vessel movements were detected inside Peru's waters, nighttime satellite data analyzed by Global Fishing Watch shows. Craig Loveridge, executive secretary of the SPFMO, declined requests for interviews. But in an email, he pointed out that it's up to each member to take into account the history of fishing operators when deciding whether or not to authorize a vessel to fly its flag. To address concerns, several South American governments proposed at this year's SPFMO meeting a number of conservation measures already in place elsewhere. Ideas included banning transshipments at sea, allowing countries to board other member states' vessels on the high seas and creating a buffer zone so coastal states are automatically alerted whenever a foreign vessel comes within 12 nautical miles of its territorial waters. But each proposal was shot down by China, Miranda said. China doesn't really seem interested in expanding protection said Malay. They follow the letter of the law but not the spirit. Moreover, once the catch is landed in China, or a warehouse anywhere, it's impossible to discern between legal and illegally caught fish. This is the black hole and having clarity there is really complex said Miranda. There are many things that can be done but you need to rely on credible data, which right now is lacking. Alone at sea. In the absence of more robust monitoring, the ocean warrior is something of a high seas sheriff holding bad actors responsible. 
but it's surrounded by dozens of Chinese vessels accustomed to operating with little fear of reprisal. As the sun prepares to set, and the Chinese squid fleet awakens in time for another night of fishing, the Ocean Warriors crew sets out on a dinghy to inspect up close the Changtai 802. The ship is one of 39 vessels suspected of forced labor in a May 2021 report by Greenpeace based on complaints by workers to Indonesian authorities. Six shirtless men, all of them Indonesian, gather on the Changtai stern gesturing friendlily and looking comforted to see another human being so far from land. But the mood quickly turns when one man, who the AP isn't identifying by name out of concern for his safety, shouts above the engine that his boss is not nice and asks, with only the foggiest of comprehension, whether the coronavirus pandemic that has ravaged the world has arrived in the US. I'm stuck here he says with a sullen look before a visibly irritated Chinese supervisor appears and orders the men back to work. I want to go home. A day later, when the ocean warrior returns with a megaphone to facilitate the open water exchange, the Chinese supervisor moves quickly to block any talk with the English-speaking strangers. But as the Chang Tai pulls away, the man throws overboard a plastic bottle stuffed with his brother's phone number scribbled on a piece of paper. Reached back home in Indonesia, the relative confesses to knowing precious little about how his brother was recruited or the conditions of his employment. Since leaving home three years ago, after graduating from a vocational school with few other job prospects, he's communicated with his family only sporadically. He nonetheless worries for his brother's well-being, to the point that he recently pressed the agency that hired him to bring him back. The Greenpeace report cites a complaint by another anonymous Indonesian sailor on the same ship who, while ill with kidney pain due to drinking poorly treated seawater, was forced to sign a document or risk being marooned in Peru with no travel documents. I hope he can come back soon says the man's brother hesitant to reveal too much out of fear it could compromise someone's safety. And I hope he's always healthy.